Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Welcome to a podcast from Joy's jazz show, Bent Notes. Tune in live each Sunday night at joy.org.au. Our special guest on Bent Notes is a guitarist, a bass guitarist, an educator, a tech guy, a PhD graduate, a cyclist, and an enthusiastic home brewer who loves Aussie jazz (laughs) and who you may have seen playing bass guitar on the forecourt of the Rod Laver Arena at the Australian Open in the early 2000s keeping everyone in the queue entertained. He has also edited the Australian Jazz Real Book. It's my pleasure to bid a very warm welcome to Bent Notes to Tim Nikolsky. Welcome, Tim. Oh, thanks for very much, David. It's great to be here. It's um, Wow, what an intro. It's, uh, <laughs> did I do those things? I must have. You must have done. The forecourt of the Rod Laver Arena, not quite a jazz club. No, no, it's not quite a jazz club, but, uh, you know, it's it's – been a very interesting melting pot and a it had the right ingredients for me at the right time to make something interesting happen as you say the, the Australian jazz real book was developed from uh, doing those gigs when the the Australian open uh, tennis was on uh, you know often in 50 degree heat outside and it's a bit hot it's pretty hot yes and so uh, we were roving entertainment and um it was uh, it was a cast of thousands back in the day, and uh, and you would often go and do a gig with someone that you had never actually played with before, and so you had to have quite a uh, a repertoire, and you you had to have currency of knowing tunes. Basically, I know we're going to talk about this uh, much more later, but um, the Australian Jazz Real Book was really developed out of those those ingredients there. I found that there was these tunes that only existed in these little circles of peoples and these little circles of interactions that only happened on these gigs. And they were incredibly fun to play these particular tunes. And I thought, why why are these tunes not more widely known? Why do they only exist in this kind of area here? Why is there no Australian jazz real book? Because there are... Real books overseas, aren't there? There's, there certainly are, yeah. The, the story and the history of um, real books has a long history, but what we generally call the real book or what was called the fake book uh, back in the day to very enterprising young musicians studying at uh, Berkeley College in Boston, Massachusetts, decided to take it upon themselves to uh, try and correct or somewhat make standard all the tunes that were going on around the scene. And so it was a it was a work of great creativity. And they assembled these real books to sort of standardize the tunes that were going around. And they were copied relentlessly. You know, to to get hold of one was was quite difficult because you had to go to the music store and have the secret handshake and <laughs> and uh 
and nudge, nudge, wink, wink, have you got any real books? And yep. they, they, they were produced all around the world. They were, they were made all over the world and spread all over, all over the world. So there is a difference between a real book and a fake book. But the idea is that a fake book has a lead sheet uh, which has just enough information but not too much. So you don't want to stifle any kind of creativity. You want to have just enough information so that you can have uh, the chords, the melody, and the lyrics. And that's pretty much it. And then just let the musician do as they see fit. You know, enough information to f- in order to fake the tune. <laughs> At the Rod Laver Arena, yes. were you faking the tunes? I was faking it until I made it. <laughs> <laughs> and did everyone enjoy it? Well, you know, it, it was it was mostly catering to people that were waiting in line to get tickets and, you know, might be passing on their way to a different court to see their their chosen tennis player that they want to follow. So it was mostly not to be listened to. Background. But yeah, background. But, you know, there's a certain freedom in that as well because if, if no one's really listening, well, you can take a few more risks, you know. You can try uh, something new. You can try something new. You can, you can push it to the next level and, and have sort of no fears with that. So I guess since that point of – you know, I've really had the attitude of playing every gig like it's my last because it's you just don't know what's around the corner. Were there any particular lessons that you learnt on the forecourt from a, both a musical perspective and a behavioural perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Time and what I, what I call time, I mean, I mean rhythm. So internal sense of pulse, your in your internal groove is the most important thing. You can get. The, the wrong notes, you can get the wrong chord, you can, you can play somewhat out of tune, <laughs> hopefully not too much, <laughs> but groove is the absolute most important thing in music and my job on that gig was to really lay it down as, as much as possible. And there was a whole lot of fun doing that because uh, I worked with some brilliant musicians at that time and they introduced me to a whole lot of tunes and a whole different way of playing, but lessons, lessons from that are really having the currency of knowing tunes without having to look at music to actually be able to recall, you know, whole pages, two or three page tunes where you, if you have that repertoire within you, if, it's, if it is the common knowledge that you have learnt, you can pretty much go anywhere in the world. And you can jam with musicians that you might not even share the same language with, but you share this common knowledge of these tunes that exist in the real book. And so that kind of currency is um, certainly worth worth knowing. Now, we met last April at Fed Square. We did. When we were both MCs for the Dingo Jazz in the Square concert, which was an all-day event, absolutely a, fantastic day. It was day. a great day, wasn't it? How did that compare to your Aussie Open gigs? Well, you know, uh, I'm not... Not that you were playing, you were an MC, but how did it compare from a musical perspective? Oh, look, it's extraordinary. You know, the, the, uh, the quality of musicianship on stage um, and the diversity of representation uh, that was on International Jazz Day this year at Federation Square was, was actually really, really inspiring. I, it was, it was, I have to admit it was the first time that I had heard Zanny Kolak play live. 
Zanny is a, a a brilliant violinist, vocalist, improviser. She somehow manages to create a whole orchestra out of those ingredients. That's certainly what it sounded like. And I was I was absolutely blown away, and I, I just I was not com- comparing at the time, but it was it was profound the things I was listening to at that time. From my perspective, I was sitting back watching and listening, and it was just amazing that one violin and a drummer behind backing yep. produced such a full and thorough sound. And and it wasn't just a simple melody that was being produced. It was violin upon violin upon violin, layers upon layer upon layer, and then the sounds as well. It was just an amazing experience. It was it was really extraordinary. And so I, I urge you know anyone um, listening out there in Radio Land, if you have not heard or seen Zanny Kolak, I would highly recommend that you do so because – it was extraordinary music. I was thoroughly blown away. It takes it actually, unfortunately, it takes a lot for me to be thoroughly impressed by someone. <laughs> and you were. I, 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 I do have high standards. So, uh, yeah. Let's have a listen to a piece of music that's come from a an Australian musician who does have high standards. Graham Bell. Graham Bell. I was um, lucky enough to receive a um, a letter from Graham. You know, uh, before he passed, I wrote to him. And he um, he was good enough to write back. Um, this was uh, the time that I was uh, wanting to develop the Australian Jazz Real Book, and uh, I guess I was seeking his endorsement. Who better? Yes, indeed, indeed. And I think the the phrase that really struck me uh, when uh, when he wrote back is that uh, you know it was basically vital that something like this existed, so that Australian jazz does not sink into the waters of invisibility. What a beautiful statement. It's a beautiful statement. Mm. Let's talk more about the PhD project, The Australian Real Book, after we hear some Aussie jazz from 1952 in a piece called Nullarbor. Our special guest is Tim Nikolsky, guitarist, educator and editor of The Australian Jazz Real Book. You're listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9. You are listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Find more podcasts and show blogs at joy.org.au. You're listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9, where our special guest is a guitarist and educator and editor of the Australian Jazz Real Book, Tim Nikolsky. Tim, cycling and home brewing, they don't seem to have any mix to jazz whatsoever. Well, you could draw some linkages between them if you really wanted to. Oh, let's uh, do so. Let's do so. Okay. Well, there there is a DIY aesthetic with with such things, and you know when when you are partaking in you know certain uh, liquid substances, it is highly advisable not to drive home in an automobile. So, if at all possible, take the bike to the gig and um, and ride home. <laughs> Much safer. Excellent uh, advice for everybody. <laughs> You're quite right there. That, that it's a a bit of creativity. That is what a jazz artist does. A jazz musician is creative. Yeah, absolutely. In in all in all aspects of life, making things and growing things as well. You know, whether it be you know growing veggies or in the shed distilling or home brewing or growing hops or those sorts of things. It's an immensely satisfying thing to do. When you do that, do you have something on in the background to listen to? 
Uh, always. And does it come purely from the jazz realm or does it come from a greater realm? Uh, that's an excellent question, David. It always comes from a very, very wide variety of musics and approaches. I guess I get too bored if I listen to the same thing uh, or the same style all the time. Uh, I'm a great believer in community radio because of the diversity that it offers and also the expertise that frequently comes with uh, community radio and its presenters. We are thoroughly blessed in Melbourne to have such a rich community radio scene and that's where I that's where I choose to allocate my ears. In in music all the way around the world there are extraordinary things to listen to in every single style of music. I wouldn't never want to limit myself to anything because there is fantastic things to check out in every single style of music. So I haven't yet met a music that I don't find something interesting in. That's good to hear. But it does lead on to the interminable question, what is jazz? Uh, yes. Does Tim Nikolsky a... <laughs> have a definition of jazz? If I may, with apologies, uh, I'm going to steal Paul Grabowski's uh, definition of jazz in that people's definition of jazz really depends on the time and the place in which they encountered it. So jazz means different things for different people, and I think that's really, really important to realise. There are some people that would have jazz be, you know, in a certain location and be limited to a certain time and be overly prescriptive about the parameters in which that music can exist. But in an Australian context, I don't think that's particularly relevant. We, uh, the advantage that we have in Australia is that we are relatively unencumbered by a tradition. I think we are free to make up solutions as we see fit. And you know, I do believe there is a, there is a core Australian essence that we are fantastic cultural improvisers um, in Australia. And I think that carries on to the music as well. So I find great inspiration that for many jazz musicians locally that they are it's like a giant sort of overlapping Venn diagram of things that they're not lots of musicians locally are not restricted to one particular style of music you know they'll they'll play a rock gig they'll they'll be in you know Ian Moss's band or they'll be you know accompanying Tina Arena or but they're, they're fantastic jazz musicians as well. Is a jazz musician a better musician if they do play in many of these other genres in inverted commas? Yeah, I would absolutely argue that they are because if you exist in a whole lot of different spheres and musical scenes, you can draw upon inspiration from each of those scenes and take the really good things about that and then integrate them into your own approach. Yeah, I, I, I think it's... Um, particularly for Australian musicians. Uh, and this is also born out of necessity as well. I mean, you know, to make a living and to get through, people need to work in diverse fields. For instance, me, I, I, I play in a really fascinating ensemble which mainly plays music from the Balkans. And the instrumentation of this particular band is harpsichord, recorders, two vocalists, double bass, and me on guitar. And we play all this crazy Eastern European music in all these different languages that I have no idea what they're, what they're singing in all the time signatures 
that I have no idea how to play because I'm just the white guy from the suburbs, right? <laughs> so there's lots of music in five and seven and nine and 11. And, you know, I'm used to playing in 4-4. 4-4 four, 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 is nice and comfortable. It is comfortable. So to actually be challenged in that way to exist within that music has really turned me on to a whole lot of things that I don't know about. And I would rather listen to something that, I have no idea about and be completely amazed by that rather than something that I feel comfortable in. The music in the Australian Jazz Real book, mm. is it all simply straight down the line jazz or has it come from some of these other areas, these other cultural, cultural areas or other genres? It really has. I mean, it has, a, it has an incredible diversity contained within that and that is by deliberate construction. I've deliberately tried to blur or remove the boundaries of what most people would define as jazz and to really take jazz as a broad church and to be as diverse and inclusive as possible. And I, I take that very, very seriously. One of the great stories in Australia, um, I think, uh, and particularly in Melbourne, we have a fantastic migrant success story in in, in Melbourne, and all those uh, cultures from people that have come from far away, distant lands, I would like to think our music scene is welcoming enough and diverse enough that each of those voices can find a place and representation. I would even argue that there are things that are in the Australian Jazz Real Book that, you know, uh, perhaps sh even shouldn't be. That's okay too, because I don't even think that you could even describe these things as jazz. But I guess in terms of that representation, jazz is what you make it. It can be whatever that you want it to be, and I would prefer that it be a broad church, and I would prefer that it be as diverse and as inclusive as possible. So there is a um, there is a improvising trio from Sydney called The Necks, N-E-C-K-S, I'll, I'll quickly tell this story. Um, I was working with the, the great piano player, uh, Jack's, uh, Jack Serralat, and he, um, we, were, we were talking about, you know, what should, what should go in the, in the book and, you know, trying to define these parameters. And I said to, I said to Jax, uh, look, it would be fantastic if there was, you know, a tune by the next or a composition by the next in there. But, like, that's the, the next... Uh, uh, large open form improvisers and they would never play the same tune twice. They spontaneous improvisation composition. Jex happened to take that as a as a challenge, and so Jex transcribed the whole of their sex album, all fifty two minutes of it, and wow. condensed that into a I think it was a six page lead sheet. Oh wow! Now I didn't think it could be done. Thankfully, Jex proved me wrong, and I'm for, forever grateful that he did because in the act of doing this transcription, it really provided an insight into the improviser's mind and the creativity that was not immediately apparent you know, to listening to this 52-minute composition. So to actually see the themes develop and then retrograde and do all these amazing things and all these amazing changes to actually see that actually for many people I've, I've been since told that it actually really uh, legitimized that process 
and it made more sense to them and provided context, provided meaning for people as well. So I'm, I'm really glad that, that that tune is in there. I wouldn't have it any other way. The book itself is a very big, as in thick, heavy book. It is indeed. But it's also available digital. It is. Does that mean anyone can take it anywhere? Absolutely. The physical book has got 317 tunes, and I... Uh, I had to be quite creative uh, with my uh, printers and uh, binder people that I worked with in putting this together because there's about 50 more pages than really should be allowed <laughs> in the existing binding technology, which was the biggest comb binding that I could possibly get in the world. So it's a really thick book. But the advantages of digital are that uh, I can effectively endlessly curate the next thing. So what I've taken... Uh, upon myself to do since the physical books released in 2014 is to do a digital curation uh, of this and every month I send out uh, you know 8, 10, 12 tunes to subscribers that allows me to actually feature new artists because of course musicians are releasing things all the time time. and they're continuing to be brilliant so you know it and it also means that uh, the the existing representation challenges can be addressed. Everything's Australian, which is why it's the Australian Jazz Real Book. Correct. Where can we go if we want some more information? You can go to the AustralianJazzRealBook.com. Nice and simple. Tim, thank you for visiting the Bent Note Studio. I have been enthralled with what you've been talking about and just love the concept of the real book to start with. I remember when I was at school, there were things called freedom sheets. Freedom sheets? Freedom sheets, which was your fake sheets. Right. It's great to hear that there's an Australian legal book that records all this great music for posterity and more importantly allows people, musicians, to spread their wings across the the gamut of Australian music. Hopefully it's... uh as Graham Bell puts it, hopefully it has prevented our music being sent to the waters of invisibility and hopefully it can be uh, – look, it remains to be seen whether the next generation has any in, you know, impact on it, but um, I think with availability it can only influence what is going to happen and we all stand on the shoulders of giants of the people that have come before. Certainly do. Tim, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Our special guest has been Tim Nikolsky, guitarist, educator and editor of the Australian Jazz Reel book. You're listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9. You've been listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Join us live each Sunday night on Joy 94.9. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.